Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Every time I read through the book of Acts, this section comes out at me. And initially, when you read through chapter 18, you just think that you're getting some details. This is Paul's secondary, uh, second missionary journey. Uh, he's going from town to town, as is his custom. He's in the synagogue with the Jews. He just kind of seems to be um, in a nowhere place with kind of no miraculous story, except, of course, that people are coming to faith left and right. He continues to teach and preach. People are hanging on the word of God, no matter where he seems to be. And that's a good thing. We like to know that the Word of God, wherever it's taught, wherever it's proclaimed, people are drawn to that Word of God. It's encouraging to them. Their lives are changed and transformed. That, that's always a good story. But there's a detail right at the beginning of chapter 18 that I think we, we pass by and we go over a little too quickly. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So he's in the town of Corinth. And there he meets a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now whether you realize or not, the book of Acts, and basically Paul's ministry, is that he is trying to get to Rome. Paul wants a hearing. He wants everyone to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because Rome rules the world, he knows that he's got to go to the very seat where all dictates come from, where all the leadership emanates from. He's got to go to the head of it all so that as the message of Jesus Christ gets out, he gets there. So Paul's trying to get to Rome. Claudius, the ruler, has now evicted Jews from Rome. I don't want any uprising. I don't want to hear about this Jewish religion. I also don't want to hear about this new religion called Christianity or the way or those that follow Christus. Interestingly, as we find more and more in our archaeological digs, we see misprints of Jesus' name, not Christus, but Christus. We can tell by the reference who they're referencing, but in this first century, Jesus' name was absolutely known by the Roman emperors. And there is a message going around of, we can't have them in Rome. Where's Paul trying to get? But to Rome. And here he meets Priscilla and Aquila. Now, you pass by these and you say, oh, those are kind of fun names. I might be able to remember those names, but that's not the detail I want you to remember. What I want you to remember is that they were tent makers. Just like Paul. Isn't it awesome when you're out visiting somewhere? When, when you go to a new place, if you're, if you're in a, a new job, or you go to a, a visit a church, say, or you go somewhere, and you meet somebody, and, and you find out they're from your same town. Has that ever occurred? Have you ever met somebody that you didn't know at first? You just, really? You grew up there? And of course, you're looking at them and you're like, well, I mean, I was there 40 years ago. Or they're saying, man, I, I just left there. Huh? I don't know your family name. You're like, how do you not know our family name? But it's kind of a shared experience. It's kind of a neat icebreaker. It's, it's something that is shared. Now, maybe they're not from your own hometown, but what if you find out all of a sudden that you have a shared background, like the same education or shared same interest, right? 
Part of the reason that Family of Christ, I think, resonates well in our community is a lot of people have a military background. They've been a part of the Air Force for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. I mean, we even accept some Navy people in, in, I mean, into our community. You know, no matter how they treat us on the field, we, we say, okay, but you're, you know, we've got some shared experiences. We're military, right? We've got a military background. And, and there's a shared common friendship that immediately can be had. I mean, right then and there, it's like, oh, you're... You were over at such and such a base? Oh, no, I was over here at this base. Oh, I flew with so-and-so or whatever. There's a shared camaraderie. And once you have that, then you begin to build and you begin to go deep and you begin to, to enhance whatever kind of relationship God has set in store. I'm reminded that there are deep friendships that happen in chemotherapy wards, as patients sit for hours taking chemotherapy, and they realize we have a shared experience. Or maybe you've been through a divorce recovery class, and there's someone there that a shared experience or some kind of a recovery group, or, or some kind of a Bible study group. Maybe you've decided to meet with other people regularly on a, on a given basis, and the thing that pulls you all together is the shared life experience of being in God's holy word. Maybe, maybe that is the thing that you go, you know what, this is what we gather around. This is what is good in our lives. As we struggle and contemplate, as we, as we go through and go, man, God, what are you, what are you leading me in? This is Paul. This is Priscilla and Aquila. They have a shared experience because of faith in Jesus Christ. They also have the added experience of being tent makers. I mean, why does a ladies' altar or quilting guild get together? Well, you know, if I try this loop stitch over here, this really is, oh, I like that. That's really, there's a shared experience. Right? Well, where do you get your material cheaply from? Well, I have my children go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. See, there's a shared experience. And I have no doubt thinking that in the evenings, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, after talking about the day's work, they immediately began to share stories of a background spent serving people by making homes. And I have no doubt that Paul always left tent making, right? He started with that as a conversation and always went to, hey, you know, we make homes on the outside, but Jesus Christ wants to make his home on the inside. And that's what I'm challenging people to. And I can picture Priscilla and Aquila being so encouraged by Paul's testimony, right? Can you imagine meeting Paul for the first time? After hearing the stories, not only of his conversion, but remembering what his previous life used to be like. How he was the persecutor of Christians. He was the one that gave the word for people to be stoned to death. 
And yet Priscilla and Aquila, with a shared experience of being tent makers, meet Paul, and what joy it must have been for them to go, we're just like him. And yet, incredibly different too. Changed, both of us, by the gospel, now proclaiming it, and wherever we go. You need to understand, this is a huge thing for Priscilla and Aquila to be in Corinth. Paul, later in the scripture reading in chapter 18, we didn't read it this morning, but if you're reading later, you'll notice that Priscilla and Aquila travel with Paul from Corinth, and they go to Ephesus. And the town of Ephesus is where he, Paul, leaves Priscilla and Aquila to be kind of the head of the church there. And they do incredible ministry. Paul's last letter written that we have a record of is to the church in Ephesus where his dear, dear friends are. As Paul knows that his earthly life is being wrapped up as he is prepared to leave this world, he sends a great touching letter mentioning Priscilla and Aquila. This couple that no doubt prayed with him and ate with him and worked alongside him, not just in tents, but in the spreading of the gospel. There's a deep friendship Who are your friends that are like that for you? I mean, deep friendships in the gospel. Deep, deep, abiding relationships. Maybe you say, you know, that's what I'm missing. I I don't have those. I, I don't even know what really a good friend, because quite frankly, all the friends I've ever had have just stabbed me in the back. Let's look this morning quickly at what Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. We hear that a friend loves at all times. A friend loves you no matter what is going on in your life. I mean, truly, a deep friendship. We're not talking about, hey, will you friend me? And then you write a comment that they don't like, and they, well, we're not friends anymore. Just newsflash, in case this is a shock to most of you. Facebook does not foster friendships the way Scripture talks. Is it a way of sharing information? Absolutely. Do you sometimes find old, long-lost friends and reestablish a relationship? Absolutely. Is there anything inherently wrong with Facebook? No. I'm just saying that the way Scripture defines friendship, it is much deeper. It involves much more. A friend loves at all times. Just as a little check-in here this morning, just as a show of humility to the rest of us here this morning, have you ever been unlovable uh, to a friend? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you'd like to admit that this morning. Some of you are going, no, I... No, I am awesome as a friend. Yeah. Now, 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 if we asked your spouse, right, who is supposed to be your greatest friend, have you ever been unloving? 
Go ahead and raise your hand if your spouse has ever been unloving to you. Just go ahead and just call that out this morning. Right. So there's a, some of you are going, yeah, we had brunch before, so I know we're not getting lunch later. And uh, I can't believe you raised your hand. <laughs> Pastor asked the question. I was just being honest. Hmm. A friend loves at all times. When you are at your worst, a friend loves you. When you try a new hairdo out and it doesn't go, your friend is, well, it's a step in the right direction. (laughs) Right? I mean, you go, thank you. Proverbs 27, 17, or 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. What do you think of my new hair? It's not good on you at all, right? How does this shirt make me look? No, put it back. Can I wear this out in public? No. A friend... A friend's wounds can be trusted. Scripture paints a picture here that a friend loves at all times, and a friend, a true friend, can actually say the hard thing. I know this morning you're sitting here, you're thinking, and there's two realms to be in. There's one, you know what, I don't have a friend that I would trust to speak a harsh word to me. Or maybe you're in the camp of going, man, I have, I don't do that for anybody. I wonder if I'm a friend. And so you might find yourself going in and out uh, in both directions in this text this morning saying, man, nobody treats me like that. And, And maybe I don't treat anyone the way I should. Do I love my friend at all times? 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so another sharpens another, a friend. A friendship is meant to build you up, not just tear you down. Yes, as iron sharpens iron, we get rid of the rough spots, the chinks in the armor, the picture kind of goes. You, you smooth those out, but it, but it prepares you. A friendship prepares you to go back into battle or to success or to life, the parts that tear us down. I mean, a friend should be bettering you. I tell young people all the time that are in this dating life, well, this person kind of, dra- you know, it's, it's a drain on my energy to be in a relationship with them. And I'm like, run! <laughs> well, but you know, all good things, you should really kind of stick it out, shouldn't you? You know, and things are hard in relation. Yes, but they should be making you better. That's how Scripture defines a deep, Abiding friendship. I I picture that Paul was a better tent maker because of knowing Priscilla and Aquila and that Priscilla and Aquila were better tent makers for having known Paul. Again, that shared background and experience can be incredible. 
couple of years ago, we were doing some training for our safety and security team. Uh, and, we, and we brought in an instructor, and we were talking about you know, different firearm safety and these kinds of things. And, and the instructor asked those that were gathered uh, to just briefly introduce themselves. You know, what do you normally do during the week and that kind of thing? Well, the first person gets up, says who they are, and I work in the IT uh, department uh, at, at my work. And the next guy gets up and says, oh, I, I've been doing uh, IT uh, like for 30 years of my life. And the third person gets up and they're like, well, I, I used to manage a bunch of people doing IT. And, and out of 12 guys, nine of them, nine, were computer nerds. I mean, Really gifted computer science majors, okay? I mean, information specialists, right? I mean, and you should have seen them in the break times. They were, they were up talking to each other. Oh, I used to work over at Cisco, and I, I've implemented uh, the uh, plethora of billions of ones and zeros over all. I was like, I don't even know what y'all are talking about. And I thought, it's incredible. What a simple job relationship, a shared experience. How it immediately bonded these guys to speak a language that they understood. And it dawns on me that this is part of the gospel message, is that we speak a language that encourages and bonds and develops deep, abiding friendships. The kind of love that lifts a brother up and encourages, the kind that can speak even a harsh word into a friendship. The kind of deep, abiding love that we're encouraged in Hebrews Chapter 10, verse 24 and following, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but, but let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the last day approaching. Let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This is how I picture a deep, abiding friendship that says, hey, don't just go sit off by yourself. Don't just be a recluse. Get out. Be involved. Love deeply. Now, you're not going to be able to do this with 500 of your closest friends. You're not going to. I think the picture that we see in Scripture is two or three. I mean, Jesus' inner circle of the brothers and John, Peter, James, John. These, this is a close-knit group. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 reminds us that one by himself is not good. Two, okay, but, a, but three... A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It is tough to assail. I, I love reminding in wedding ceremonies that this couple that stands in front of the altar of God is having a commitment between the two of them and with God. And that that cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That cord of three strands, it may look like this, however. Cooper, come here. 
You look fine, son. <laughs> you look good. Stand right there. Face the people. I know. It's a little scary. All right. I want you to hold this piece of rope. I want you to tug on it. I want you to tell them if it's real or not. Is it real? Yes. He said yes. He couldn't hear. Okay, that's a short piece. This is, this is a medium piece of rope. Is that a real piece of rope? Pull on it. It's a real piece of rope, right? Yeah. All right, how about this long one? Is that a real one? Pull on it. Is it a real piece of rope? <laughs> yeah. It's real, okay? There's no funny, stretchy business about it, right? I got nothing in my hands right here, right? Mm -hmm. You're seeing this, right? We're going to take this rope. We're going to put it right up in here, okay? We're going to take this rope. We're going to put it right up in here. We're going to take this long one and put it right up in there. Now I want you to give me your best blown kiss. Do it for right in front of everybody. Here we go. Come on. Oh, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Now look. Now I know those three strands were all different sizes, weren't they? But if we work hard at this, right, and pull these out, well, what the heck? We got three equal strands. We got one. We got two. We got three equal strands right here. Now, how, what did you do? You don't, you don't know? There were three different size ropes, right? I don't know. Maybe you did something with them. I, I, that's been known to happen with stuff, right? Pull them out there. Pull it out. Pull them one at a time. Now, wait a minute. Well, that's a long one. Well, that's the medium one. Now, how did you do that? You have no idea, huh? <laughs> well, I, I think what God does, I, I think He takes us in what we call our shortcomings. I think oftentimes He pairs us. He pairs us with a deep abiding friendship that, that's twice as much as what we are, right? I mean, provides way more to the friendship, right? They're the strong person in our life, but ultimately God, God is always way more than what we need. And when those three strands are brought together, there is no telling what can happen. Those three strands that look so different, what God does is He says, no, with me, we're in this together. You can have a seat, thank you. We're in this together, friends. And, and it doesn't matter how different it all looks. It doesn't matter that the world says, you can't do that. By God's grace, what he does is he says, I make everything new. I can take you when you're at your weakest and your smallest, and I can do great things. Do you understand that the history of God has been that he partners with us? That he uses us no matter where we're at? Look at Job. He has everything taken away from him. His friends... They come and actually, at the beginning of the book of Job, when Job has lost all of his wealth, when his children have been taken from him, when everything seems destitute and down and out, Job's friends actually, at the very beginning, do something incredible. They shut up. Right? For seven days, when they see their friend from afar, they see that he is upset. They see that he's in mourning. They see that he has been beaten up and that he is physically ill. And his friends come and for seven days they say nothing. They sit with him. They cry. 
They mourn with him. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They shave their heads. They say, friend, we see that you're hurting. And we're not here to try to fix it. And we're not here to make it feel better. We're just here to hurt with you. Because that's what real friends do. Now, unfortunately, the three friends start to hear Job complain, demanding, I've been so righteous, God, you owe me an explanation. And his friends go, whoa, no, Job. And you say, that's good, friends should remind you. (laughs) Hey, I think you're yelling at God for the wrong reasons. The problem is, is that Job's friends also don't understand what God is doing. Well, Job, maybe you've got unconfessed sin. Well, Job, maybe you've done the wrong thing. Well, Job, maybe God's getting back at you. And they just throw out all these ideas when, in fact, the reason this is happening is because God wanted to test Job. But he hasn't left him. He didn't abandon him. And in fact, Jesus restored him. And David, right? David kills Goliath. People are running around going, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And so Saul, throwing spears at David, trying to kill him. David's hiding in caves. All of these things are happening. And yet the son of the king seeks David out, gives him his robe, his battle implements, and says, David... You and I. Jonathan, Saul's son, says, I've got your back. And that too reminds me that the son of the living king has done the same for you. That Jesus Christ Almighty, the very son of the living king, came in flesh and has given you his robe of righteousness. That you have been been given the battle implements of the breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, a belt of truth, a sword of the Spirit, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel, that the Son of the living King has loved you deeply, has restored you, has come in the flesh to be your friend. Throughout Scripture, Jesus, known as a friend of sinners. That's me. That's you. This incredibly deep, abiding friendship comes from God's love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. And no, this friendship is not easy by Jesus. He doesn't just give us a free pass. No, he speaks a harsh word at times into our lives. He says, hey, you don't measure up, repent. And we do. And he speaks loving words, encouragement, kindness. And he says, don't worry, I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I love you. So much, says God. And I desire a deep, abiding relationship with you that I will send my son to make it happen. Friends in Christ, we have a Jesus, the Son of the living King, that understands temptation, that has had struggles and persecution just like we all have. Amidst all of that, we have a Jesus that just loves deeply 
you. And I pray that his deep, deep love for you would cause you to show that deep, deep love to others. Amen.